I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we are talking puberty. And yes, it may get a little awkward, so I just want to issue a caveat up front that parents, if you are listening to this, you may want to listen to it privately before sharing it with your kids. Coaches, same to you. (laughs) We talk very candidly with this week's guest, licensed clinical social worker Kate Malinsky, about not only what happens in our children's bodies as they go through puberty, but also what happens emotionally with them and how we as parents and coaches can help them through these awkward years. Kate is very blunt, very clinical in this week's conversation. So again, I urge you to listen to this alone and then decide if you feel it's appropriate to share with your young player. Without further ado, licensed clinical social worker, Kate Malinsky. Kate Malinsky, thank you so much for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. So I mentioned in the intro that you are a licensed clinical social worker. Can you explain to the Parenting Aces audience what exactly that means? Sure. So I'm a therapist is probably the easiest way to describe it. Um, I've got my master's degree in social work and the the word clinical means um, that I, I work with people around, I mean, traditionally around issues of um, mental health, but my practice is actually a little bit different. Oh, and licensed means I'm licensed by the state of Texas. But okay. um, my practice is a little bit different because my specialty is in parenting and I use a model that is not really a therapeutic model, although I think it feels therapeutic sometimes. But what I do is more of a consultation or coaching with parents on parenting. All the ways that parenting drives us crazy and it's hard and challenges us and those moments where we don't know what to do or what we're doing isn't working, um, that's what I work with parents on. Great. And you work both in an individual in-person setting, but you also offer webinars. I do. I And I love both. They're very different. But I get lots of folks who come in for individual one-on-one parent coaching. Um, and then I have started lately doing these webinars, which are a little bit, um, they're, they're accessible and they're easy and people can watch them in their pajamas. Um, but I don't get to know people quite as well, but I think that it's a really nice way to get good information out there in the world. Absolutely. And I'm going to ask you more about that as we close up the podcast this week. And to my listeners, there will be links to uh, to Katie's pod or webinars in the show notes. So make sure and check that out, but we'll have the link. We'll talk about that a little bit more at the end of the show. So what we're talking about today is a bit sensitive and may make some people uncomfortable, but I think it's necessary to address the issue of what to do with our daughters as they're entering puberty and starting their periods and traveling and on the practice court with oftentimes male coaches or maybe dad is along for the ride. And so we wanted to just kind of talk about some strategies, some tools, and maybe hopefully gain a little bit of knowledge about what is going on with our daughters as they enter these challenging challenging years. And I am the mom of two girls. So I will attest to the fact that you do survive it. Um, You may have some battle scars along the way, but you do survive and you do end up friends with your kids at the end of the ride. So that's the good news. Yep. That's the goal for sure. Yeah. So let's start out by talking about how we parents can work with our daughter's coaches to help kind of navigate through some of the issues that seem to rear their ugly head during puberty. And puberty, let's face it, is starting younger and younger in our daughters. I mean, I know some girls that wound up getting their periods as young as nine years old, which just, it's crazy. Gina, that actually reminds me that 
for many of us moms, one of the things that's most helpful to start with is to get reminded of what puberty is, what it isn't, and when does it start? Because I think most of us, we remember when we got our period. And so that's kind of what we think of puberty as. But that's actually only one part of it. And it's not the first part. The, and, and what I'm talking about here is, is physical changes, you know, the, the body's physical development as you go through puberty and adolescence. And one of the things that happens first for girls is not getting your period. It's the development of breast buds, which and I'm going to just say all the words here. Is that okay, Lisa? Absolutely. I, I'm The right. warning is out there. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, I, I think okay. the best way to have this conversation is just to have it honestly. So, yes. Well, and you know, I totally agree. So, okay, so here's the deal. Breast buds are when a young woman's um, breasts start to change. And the thing that happens first is her nipples are going to get a little bit larger and a little bit darker. They change in color. Um, they get more sensitive. Girls will say that their, their nipples itch or they bother them. They don't want a shirt rubbing. It doesn't feel good. Um, and then also the, the breast bud is, you can sometimes feel like a little bump or a nodule underneath the nipple. And that is typically that set of changes right there. That is typically the thing that happens first for girls. And now everybody's body is different, but sort of your average age to start the puberty process is 10 and a half. And, you know, that's like, what is that? Fourth, fifth grade. Yeah. They're Um, young. Right. But if, that's the average age. This is the tricky thing about statistics. That means half the girls are doing it before that. There's actually a, a, a medical study in the journal Pediatrics that cited 25% of girls in the third grade had started the puberty process. So, you know, like when I think about when I started my period when I was young, I was not in third grade. And that is not when I was expecting it for my daughters. But that's not the first thing that happens. And so it's really important that we recognize that this puberty process it's actually several years and menstruation or getting your period is a big part of it, but it isn't the first part typically. And it's um, the things that happen first are also important and significant to girls. And they also need our support and education um, around those as well. Well, and that just makes me think about this whole issue of, you know, with tennis, especially um, if there's sensitivity in the breast area, you know, that can be magnified as you're running around a tennis court and swinging oh, yeah. a racket. And yep. so being alert and aware of these things going on with your daughter and yep. I mean, how should the conversation go? If your if your daughter doesn't come to you and say, mom or dad, um, I need a sports bra or I need a bra because, you know, my, I'm starting to get boobs and, you know, <laughs> right. it's showing through my, my dry fit shirt and everybody's making fun of me. Um, oh, there are a lot of yeah. girls that aren't comfortable having that conversation with their parent. So right. how do you suggest we address that with our daughters? So I love this question. And I also will have to try really hard not to fill up the rest of your podcast answering just this one question. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, even if this is all we get to, we can always do a (laughs) follow-up. There you go. Okay. So in a nutshell, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to parent our daughters so that they feel supported and they have a, you know, a better experience. And when opportunities or challenges come up, they make good choices, they make healthy choices, um, and their lives, you know, like, do she does the right thing. (laughs) We take good care of them. Okay. So the thing is, the way that we do, the way we get to that goal is by we start earlier, creating the kind of relationship with our daughters, where they know they can come to us with this stuff. So it's like if I never say the word puberty or period or breast or vulva, look, I threw that one in there too. If I never say those words to my daughter, then at some point when she's, let's say, 13 and she does get her period, it's going to be extra, extra, extra hard for her to come to me and say, Mom, I have a thing and it's here and it's this. And it's like if that's the first conversation, 
um, we're asking our daughters to, to climb a pretty big mountain to be able to get our support. And so what we can do to help them with this is to start earlier. So we can use those anatomically correct words to describe their body parts. You know, nobody makes up a name for elbow. So, you know, right. in, in, in the comfort and safety of our own homes, we can use the proper terminology to describe our body parts. And when we do that, A, we're educating our girls and boys, by the way, and B, we're telling them in our family, we can talk about this stuff. We don't pretend it doesn't exist. And although we may say this is private and we're not going to you know, talk about it at the grocery store, but we can talk about it. And I really want kids to get that message from their parents because puberty will happen and things will happen. Problems will occur. And if they know they can go to their parents for support because their parents have talked with them about these and related topics all along, then it's easier for kids to go get the good, healthy support from their parent when the time comes. So anyway, I couldn't do it. I couldn't say it in a nutshell, but <laughs> long, 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 long story longer. If we start talking to them early and we use appropriate body names and we say things like, um, well, when you go through, you know, girls go through puberty when they are older, maybe middle school. You know, if we look for opportunities in the previous 10 years of their life to toss in words and concepts and ideas, just little tiny nuggets of information or vocabulary words, we're creating the kind of relationship with our daughters and son, where they do know they can talk to us about this stuff and they can come to us with their questions and problems. So hopefully by the time they're, you know, 12 or 13 years old and they're getting their period for the first time, they know what puberty is. They know what their period is. They know what a vagina is. They know a pad and a tampon because they've heard us mention it or we've talked about it um, for a long time. Right, right. But let's get let's get back to this issue of the bra because I, given that the breast buds are kind of the first stage of puberty, that may be the first <laughs> situation where mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. having to have kind of a a bit of a challenging conversation with your child because a you may have a daughter who doesn't feel comfortable in the fact that she's developing breasts, doesn't right. want it to happen, so tries to hide it. Um, B, you know, she may be in a school situation or a training situation or another social situation where she's being teased because if mm-hmm. she's an early developer, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I have vivid memories of the middle school gym locker room and they are not good memories. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. if she's not coming to us because she's embarrassed or uncomfortable about what's happening in her body, even though we have followed Mm -hmm. your advice and had these conversations, Mm -hmm. what's the best way to bring it up? Because Mm -hmm. it's for their own good that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so I think what I like to do is I look for these sort of, quote unquote, teachable or talkable moments. And if, let me tell you what not to do. If I say, hey, honey, come here. We need to talk about covering your breasts. Let's have a serious conversation about that. Um, That's just going to go in the pile of miserable, (laughs) torturous memory experiences. So what we want to do is we want to look for a moment in real life where that conversation is a natural segue. That is a natural part of what would already be going on and being thought about. So for me, you know, when I'm thinking about like parenting my daughter who's an athlete, I would say, hey, looks like you need some new, you know, dry fit shirt. Let's go to the store. And while we're shopping, I might pick up one or two of the, you know, the preteen sized girls bras and say, hey, a lot of girls your age I've noticed are wearing these. Do you want to try one on? See what you think? Um, And just sort of bring the equipment into the room, so to speak, and and see if that sparks a conversation. Um, that's, That's a good one. I like that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you can also, um, I'm a big believer in letting have kids, excuse me, in letting kids have a lot of say over their body. And so if my daughter is telling me through either words or actions or both, that she's not really comfortable with this and she's not ready for it, then I'm going to try to take 
a low and slow approach to getting her to accept this. I'm not saying I won't do it. I'm saying low and slow because I want to honor where she's at while I am trying to get her to grow, so to speak. So if she doesn't want to do it, I'm not, I'm not going to force her to. I'm going to bring it up casually every once in a while. And then I'm going to um, point at the bras. I'm going to say, how's that? You know, like it, for myself, I've got a couple of athletic tank tops that are a bra and a tank top all in one. And it's just got a little lining, you know. Mm -hmm, I might mm -hmm. point at something like that and say, hey, I, I know that you said you didn't want a bra yet. What about something like this? I wonder how that would feel because it's got that extra layer. Um, you know, things like that that are not overbearing, they're gentle, and they're respectful of if she wants it or doesn't. And then I would say on the flip side of that, of course, then there's always that kid who is in first grade and comes home and says, all the other kids in my first grade class are wearing a bra, mom. Can I have one? And right. <laughs> that is a scary experience. Um, but I think it's also pretty normal and appropriate for kids to be curious about putting the things on that older kids or grownups wear. And it's okay to let them have a little experimenting with things that won't hurt them. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, and I suspect too, for the girl that isn't comfortable with what's going on, sadly, but you know, maybe helpfully, a lot of times her peers are going to push her to the point where she just has to deal with it. Right. I mean, exactly. kids can be mean and they tease and they say things and make you uncomfortable. And, yep. and so sometimes it's kind of a desperation move, <laughs> which I and mean, it's, it's a terrible thing to think about, but it does happen. There is also a middle ground that isn't quite so bad as that. And I agree with what you said, but there's like a stage before that, because when kids are going through adolescence, their normal development has them start to be more interested in what their peers are doing than what their parents are doing. And if they look around and they see that all their, you know, female peers are wearing a sports bra um, because of where they are developmentally, they start to naturally get more interested in fitting in. And if a sports bra is where it's at, then a sports bra it is. Yeah. So, you know, you can um, you can also facilitate that a little bit by noticing what people are wearing and saying, I know Shannon, a really cute bra. I wonder where she got that. Yeah. <laughs> you want to get one of those? Shall we go shopping? Do you want to try it? Do you want to just have it in the drawer in case you ever change your mind or you're in a situation where you might want to have one? It might be nice to already have one ready, even though you're not choosing to wear it yet. All the all the flexibility of the world. Yeah, I like that. So does that mean that I'm not supposed to just go out and buy it and stick it in her drawer without her consent? <laughs> that would not be my favorite option. <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think when a parent does that, they are trying to take care of their kid and I have deep respect for that. But I do think that we can like we can go up a notch in, in parenting skill level there. And we can look at this as an opportunity to have a connecting and an important conversation, connecting and educating conversation mm -hmm. with our kids. So it isn't just a secret thing that we feel embarrassed about. So we don't talk about it. And I stuff it in the drawer. It's, Hey, this is normal. Everybody's body goes through this. I did it. Yours is gonna, all the other kids are, come on, let's go get your bra. Right. It can, I love that. It can also actually be, it can also actually be really sweet, you know, yeah. like for us anyway, <laughs> the mom. <laughs> well, it's so funny because my own personal experience when I was going through it was one of embarrassment and, you know, hesitation and um, kind of secrecy and whatever. But with my daughters who are grown women now, um, it was totally easy. I mean, it was mm -hmm. just a matter of fact thing. We did it and, mm -hmm. you know, and it was for me was sweet. And actually, I think for them, too, even though you know, they may have been a little bit embarrassed, but I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'll mm -hmm. have to ask them now that they're grown ups. <laughs> mm -hmm. But so, okay. So we've got the breast buds be develop, beginning to develop um, the whole issue of getting a sports bra and in conjunction with the beginning of puberty, we start to see things like mood swings come into oh, yeah. play right. and, and um, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and I didn't say it earlier, I should have, 
a handful of other things that come along with puberty. So acne, oily skin and hair, uh, stinky armpits, more body odor, <laughs> you know, there's, and of course, growth. There's quite a lot of physical changes that happen. And, and so, I mean, the whole issue of when to start using antiperspirant or deodorant is a similar type situation as the sports bra, right? I mean, oftentimes yes. we parents notice that our children don't smell their yes. sweet selves um, <laughs> before they notice it or understand yes. what's going on. And so, they don't have the maturity to have a good hygiene practice. You know, like we've been telling them to take a bath for so long, they haven't quite internalized it. Right. So a similar thing. And I'm thinking, you know, the coaches may notice it actually mm-hmm. even before we parents do. So mm-hmm. let's let's talk about that. We didn't even that wasn't part of our our pre-recording conversation, but but let's talk about this whole issue of antiperspirant or deodorant mm-hmm. and Mm-hmm. How to have that conversation. And and let's start with if you're a coach and you've got a kid showing up every day and you're just like, oh, my gosh, something's got to be done here. What's the best way for the coach to approach this topic? And so here's where my uh, lack of experience with tennis is going to show. So I'm just going to point at it ahead of time. Um, I don't know how many kids are in a room, right? when a coach is talking, but well, they're if, on a court. So it's, it's typically outdoors unless you live well, in a cool <laughs> I climate. Knew that, but yeah. <laughs> I meant like, here's, let me just say what I was going to say and then it'll make okay. sense where, I, where I'm ignorant. Okay. Um, if a coach comes to one kid individually and says, no matter how nice they say it, Hey, you got body odor. You need to do something about that. That's going to be real hard for a child not to get sort of shame triggered by. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if, the coach can instead treat it as a, hey, all y'all, there's my southness coming out, but my southerness, hey, all y'all who are getting older need to start bathing every day and wearing deodorant. And that is actually, you know, assuming there's like a group of kids that are the same age, that is actually a really wonderful way that coaches can support parents because you put your finger on it perfectly. The coaches are the ones who are right there with them when they've been sweating and that's when they're at their most stinky. So the coach's feedback is immediate and it's a coach's job to tell kids do X, Y, and Z to get better. And this is an area of personal life growth that the coaches can, can provide feedback on that is so timely and so perfect and then so helpful for parents. So I, I don't know that I would recommend coaches singling a child out individually, but rather talking about taking care of our bodies, like eat good foods, get plenty of sleep, make sure you take your bath. Some of us are, you know, as we get older, we all go through changes. And one of those changes is you start to stink a little more, my people. So you guys need to make sure you shower and put on that deodorant. And if the coach can say all that stuff to a team, to a group, that is going to be a lot easier for kids to sort of emotionally handle because it's not them singled out being weird or awkward. It's all y'all who are going through this process are all going to need this. Well, and I would think too, that from the kid's perspective, then they can come home and say to mom or dad, Hey, coach told me I need to start using deodorant. Would you mind picking me up some next time you're at the grocery store? Yes. Which reminds me, it would also be great if coach could shoot out a little email to the parents and say, I had a talk about deodorant with your kids today. If y'all want to follow up, we can all support each other in getting our kids to the next step of personal hygiene. That's a great idea. I love that. So it goes back to this whole communication issue, which is a common thread on the Parenting Aces podcast. Um, Uh (laughs) So yeah, you just, you stepped right in there and you didn't even know it. All right. So, okay. We've talked about a couple of issues. Now the next let's, let's move on to this whole issue of mood swings because mm-hmm. um, I know from, from my point of view as a parent, that was oftentimes one of the most challenging things to deal with. And mm-hmm. I would think from a coach's perspective, it's also very difficult because you may have a kid who is tough as nails And you've always been able to be very straight up with them in terms of correcting things on the court or, or making suggestions to them. And they've just taken it. And now all of a sudden they burst into tears and Mm -hmm. you don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, okay. So one way that, that is, I think, very helpful to think about situations like that is using a before, during, and after framework. So if it only ever happens once, you'll never be able to predict it. And so before doesn't matter. Um, but if this is happening over and over again, it's so smart to pay attention and look for the pattern. So for example, does my, you know, tennis star, Susan, um, does she fall apart at the end of, oh, I don't know, a 12 hour tournament when she's been out in the sun all day long? Um, what does that tell me? <laughs> you know, that tells me that she's probably tired and thirsty and hungry and worn out and she's not able to emotionally regulate as well as she can when she's doing better. That's not really a problem. That's, that's a normal. Um, so, you know, recognizing what we can spot ahead of time is, is one helpful tool for how do we handle these things. Okay, so during, during what happens is we just got to give people a little bit of space anytime we can to let them feel their feelings and to move through them. Now, there are some situations where we cannot give them space to feel their feelings and move through it because of reasons. You know, without without knowing specifics, I can't. But, you know, like sometimes you cannot sit there and have an upset feeling moment because you're blocking the court and you got to get off and other people got to get in. I don't know. Right. Or maybe but, you're in the middle of a tournament match, you know, maybe and, you're in the middle of a tournament match. I mean, right. there are there are kids that, you know, you go to a, a junior tennis tournament and there are kids that are in tears on the court. And whether that's yeah. due to puberty and hormones or whether it's due to some other issue, you know, yeah. who knows, but right. it, it's not an uncommon sight. Right. And so, okay. So the therapist in me says people's feelings are okay. Like it is fine to have your feelings. And sometimes the thing that helps manage another person's feelings in the moment best is to look at them and connect with them with a little bit of empathy. Man, I can tell you are feeling frustrated or gosh, you're having a tough day. I can see it. So just that moment of, I see you, I'm giving you your space. I'm kind of reflecting what I see. And, and maybe even with a little to- touch of validation, like, you know, I can, this has been a rough tournament, hadn't it? I, I totally get it. That is a kind of, comfort and support that feels so good that sometimes that in itself is an intervention and people can say, yeah, okay, what's next? I can move on. Right. 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 And that's not always the case, but you know, that in itself is one of the the very best tools that people can use when another person's having an emotional difficulty, whether it's I'm stressed, I'm tired, I'm scared, I'm overwhelmed, or it's a random puberty mood swing. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where it comes from. Um, If when you when you get to sort of an after point, um, that's where I like to tell parents or coaches to circle back with the kid and say, hey, let's talk about that. Because chances are um, there's a little bit of, I, I call it repair, like we got to talk about what happened so that we fix whatever's between us. You know, like, am I the coach? Am I mad at you because you cried on the court in front of everybody? Or are you embarrassed because you cried on the court in front of everybody? Who knows? But if we come back together and we talk about it, we can kind of work through it. Um, and then we can figure out, well, what can we do differently next time to help you in that situation? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe it's you, you need to make sure that you eat halfway through the morning. Or maybe it's, um, did you get enough sleep last night? Or, you know, do we need to figure out some anxiety management techniques that you can handle when you're in a stressful court situation? Um, I don't know. Right. No, no, no. This is good. I, I think this is really helpful because it is, I mean, so tennis is an individual sport. You know, one of the hardest things about it is if you're having a bad day, you don't get to tap out and have somebody step in and finish your match for you. You are mm-hmm. out there from the first point to the last. And mm-hmm. um so if you are having a day where your emotions are wreaking havoc, it I mean basically too bad. <laughs> you have to suck it up and mm-hmm. deal with it and figure it out. And mm-hmm. as a parent watching a child go through that, 
it's super, super challenging. And a coach is the same way, though they may not have quite the emotional connection to the player that the parent does. But but a lot of coaches do. I mean, there are some coaches out there that, you know, they feel what their players feel. So, um, you know, I don't want to say that that's not the case. You just said something that, um, that I thought it, it kind of triggered a thought in me, which is for me as a parent, or I'm imagining for a coach, watching my player falling apart, I'm going to feel pretty anxious and uncomfortable, and I'm going to want to go help them fix it, right? I'm going to want to do whatever I can do to help them get themselves back together. Would you say, like, suck it up and move on? I'm going to want that for them. And every once in a while, that's the right thing to do. But it is not always the right thing to do because if if I'm a player, like, say, let's say that I'm the 13-year-old tennis player on the court, and every time I start having a hard time, my coach or my parent comes in and distracts me or tells me a funny joke or grabs me by the shoulders and says, you've got to suck it up. You've got to do this. If every time I do that, if, sorry, if every time I have a hard time, someone does that for me, it's their skills at managing emotions that are fixing where I'm at. And we, one of the things we want to do if we're going to raise independent adults is we've got to let kids fail. So there have to, if, if where I'm at as a player is when it's a tense competition, I fall apart on the court and I cry, you got to let me cry on the court enough times and then, you know, take care of me ahead of time and afterwards and circle back and talk about it and help it be a growth experience. But I've got to have that failure in order to learn how to not have that failure next time. Right. Well, and another difficult piece of the puzzle in tennis is coaching is not allowed during tournament play. Oh, so, well, <laughs> well no, 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 no. So, I mean, there are parents and, and coaches who try to circumvent that, um, you know, and hopefully they are discouraged from doing so, but it is a very helpless feeling to be mm-hmm. on the sidelines watching your child go through something like that and know that the rules prohibit you from interfering or, you know, like you said, fixing mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. this is another kind of perk of tennis that also is a tough thing about tennis is mm-hmm. our kids are forced to deal with the situation unless of course mm-hmm. they go to an official and tell them they're defaulting the match, which most kids are not going to do that if it's a an emotional, you know, they're just mm-hmm. losing control of their emotions. They're not going to default because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're there on the sidelines watching this go down and have very little we can do to to address it in the moment. So that's why I think mm-hmm. this whole idea of circling back after the fact is mm-hmm. really important. Mm-hmm. It's a great skill builder. Yeah. I mean, and, and because we can't deal in the moment with it, we've got to figure out a way afterwards to have the conversation to help our children learn and grow. Right. We don't really have a choice. Exactly. Exactly. And it's also, I think a little easier to have the conversations afterwards because in the moment, everybody's stress level and their sort of freak out level is really high. And when you're in that situation, your brain doesn't work as well. But fast forward, you know, three hours or the next day when we're talking things through later, all of my brain is calmed down and I can use all of my creativity and flexibility and problem solving and executive function that, frankly, is turned off in emotional situations. Mm-hmm. So it's it's easier to have those conversations and you can get further. You can do more teaching. You can do more growing. And the the important thing that you just said there is three hours or the next day. Not on the car ride home from the match, <laughs> right? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. All right. Well, I, I'm loving this conversation. Okay, so let's move on. And um, our daughter is playing in a big tournament and realizes partway through the first set of the match that, oh, my goodness, I've gotten my period. Mhm. What do we do about that? I mean, I some of the officials at these tournaments, well, a lot of the times the officials are retirees and they're male. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know how comfortable a 12 year old is going to be going up to a 75 year old man and saying, excuse me, sir, I just got my period. I need to have a bathroom break. Right. I mean, it's brutal. So what do we, what do we do? How do we help them through this? Well, okay. So one of my sort of rules of thumb that I talk about with parents is if you can't protect, equip. Okay. So if we can't protect them, our kids from any of the crummy situations of the world, um, and of course, ultimately we cannot, then we equip them to deal with it themselves as best they can. So one of the things that grownups are really good at is we're really good at seeing into the future and predicting what could possibly go wrong. Um, so that's what you're doing right here. You're, you're seeing a potential place that could be hard for a kid. So I would want to have a conversation with my daughter. You know, I don't know if I would necessarily have it before her first ever period, although I might, but who knows? I would just, once she started her period, I might have conversations with her about, you know, there's an app for that, honey. So let's get you a period tracker and let's figure out when your period is probably going to come. Although side note. At the beginning of menstruation, girls' periods are often very unpredictable, and that's normal. But get the period tracker. Start tracking when it comes, when you think it's going to come. And then if you think you're going to start your period during um, a a tournament, let's sit down and talk about it ahead of time. And if sitting down and talking with me about this is too much – then maybe I send you a text or maybe I leave you a note or I mention it once and then I walk away and then I bring it back up later the next day. So, I mean, don't do this in the car ride on the way to the tournament, you know? And the idea is we're going to help, we're going to use our, you know, superior executive functioning to help our daughters identify a potential difficult situation and to think through how they would like to handle it and to make sure that they're equipped to do it however they want. So like, if what I want is to take a risk that I won't have to do anything and worst case scenario, I have to go talk to the retiree. If that's what the 13 year old wants. Okay, fine. Then maybe I have a short conversation with her about, well, what, what are you going to say? Right. What are you going to say? Um, I have female problems and maybe that's all you got to say and you can go, or maybe she's going to have to say, I think I have started my period. And can she say that to somebody? So I might help her through that. Or maybe she doesn't even want to do that. And she's like, I think if I'm going to start my, I might start my period. Um, I mean, they've got to have access to a bathroom, right? Yes. So, okay. So she takes all the supplies with her and in between her matches, um, if if she feels the cramping, then she can go and take care of business in the bathroom in between matches. And, and the, the way that you've helped her is by identifying a, that might happen and B let's think through what you would do if it did and C let's make sure you have the actual, equipment to do it. Right. What do you think about that? No, I think that's great. Um, you know, and I, and yeah, I think making sure that she has the quote equipment is the key there. And it's just like anything else that your child keeps in their tennis bag. I mean, my son used to have to keep all sorts of anti-cramping tools in his bag and blister care tools in his bag. You know, that was just, it went, it stayed in there all the time. And, you know, before Mm -hmm. we left town for a tournament, we made sure that those, those items were in good supply and he had access to them. So the same thing with pads and tampons. I mean, you just have to make sure you have them and that she keeps them in her bag and has access to them, needs them. I'd add to that list, you know, what you just said, pads and tampons, I'd add to the list an extra pair of panties, an extra tennis skirt. Um, And I'll also throw out there that, you know, young people these days, I've heard that a lot of them are trying those panties that absorb um, menstrual fluids. Oh, I haven't heard about that. Okay. Interesting. I'm trying to think of the name of them and it would have been smart if I'd done that ahead of time. Um, That's all right. We can Google it. I'll I'll Google it and put it in the show notes, but yeah. yeah. And I I get nothing from them. I just hear this from, you know, that a, a lot of the younger girls are buying these panties that you just put the panties on. And whether you have your period or not, they absorb menstrual fluid and they don't leak. So you could put on a pair of those on a tournament day if you thought that you might get your period and you're kind of taken care of either way. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, again, it's it's that whole idea of having what you need at your fingertips yep. when you need yep. it. 
um, yep. and anticipating what you might need. All right. Well, Which so, is the part that grownups can do best. Right. So what if she's traveling with a male coach or dad? And mm-hmm. I mean, men are just funny about periods. They are. <laughs> I, I don't care how progressive the man, they're just funny about it because it doesn't happen to them. And dads and male coaches, if you're listening, I'm sorry if you're offended by that statement, but that has been my experience. So (laughs) I'm just putting it out there. And oftentimes for a 12, 13-year-old, 14-year-old girl, she's not comfortable talking to a man about this stuff either. So Mm -hmm. what do we do in that situation? I have two thoughts. One of them is if it is her dad, I'd say, can can we push the the lever down a little bit towards 10% more comfort talking to dad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not like we're expecting dad to become a puberty educator, but, you know, what could dad do to make this conversation 10% more normal and not a huge big deal? I mean, dad's got a wife. He's been around with periods. He's seen pads in the cabinet forever. There was a birth somewhere. I mean, you know, like what can dad do? to try to convey to his daughter that this is natural and at least 10% less taboo and weird. And if we can move the needle in that direction, we're doing good things. We're doing good things. So that's one thought. The second thought is I kind of handle this one the same way as, as planning for the tournament, because if you can't protect equip. So again, let's talk with our daughters ahead of time about what we think might happen, you know, again, with the period tracker and the predicting and, well, what's going to happen if you do start your period? Do you want to talk to coach or do you want to handle it all yourself? Um, Let's make sure that you have all the equipment that you need. Um, You know, you can talk through like not just pads and tampons, but also um, how are you going to handle your underwear? Like if it gets stained, you know, you could say, come here, let me show you how to rinse it out in this thing. Can you do this? And you hang it up or for that matter, yeah, throw it in the trash and we'll buy you new underwear when you come home, like whatever, just you as the parent who's got that good sense of what could go wrong and what are some of the things that you could talk about with your daughter to equip her to deal with it. You have all those conversations ahead of time and give her, you know, control over if X problem happens, what is the solution that she prefers? And then you help her figure out how to make that happen. What would you say to a male coach who is traveling with female players to a tournament and this comes up? What advice would you give to the male coach in terms of how to handle it? Um, I love that question. Makes me think. So I'm always an advocate, just like I said about dads, I'm always an advocate for, so can we make this 10% more normal and natural? and not a shame-based, awkward weirdness. And I know we're not going to get to 100% there, but can we just do 10% more of relaxed, normal, natural energy? So if the coach can do that, I, I give that two thumbs up. And that might look like whatever piece of this gets shared with him, maybe, maybe nothing, or maybe somebody comes to him, like let's say that the player's friend comes to coach and says, you know, Susan started her period and maybe he doesn't need to do anything. But when someone tells him that he could say, okay, well, that's normal. If you guys need any help, let me know. I can go to the store and buy stuff. If you want, I'm checked out for that. Um, And by, by conveying that he's a supporter and he can maybe not say all the words, but he can be relaxed and normal about it. Um, he's setting himself up to be a resource if they need that. Um, another nice option is if there is a female adult somewhere. I mean, chances are that's the person who will be getting getting all this information anyway. Right, that we'll, right. we'll just leave the man out entirely. But um, you know, he can say, "Hey, if you if you want to talk to." Um, if it's something you don't want to talk about with me, if you need a woman, there's this person here and I know that she'd be glad to help you. I can go and ask, you know, maybe it's a coach from a different team who's a woman or there's a mom from a different team who's a woman. You know, if, if, if the male coach associated with this team can offer an alternative, I think that's a generous response. Mm-hmm. No, I think both of those are great ideas. And also, you know, typically there's going to be 
a, a peer there that's maybe, you know, one step ahead of where your child is and, and yep. hopefully, you know, friends are, yep. are good resources in those situations as well. They sure are. I, I bet you have heard, uh, well, I have heard many stories from adult women who started their period for the first time at summer camp or who, you know, got explained to by their older sisters. There's sort of a long tradition of us learning from older women. Um, and if you've got an older daughter with younger girls on the team, that's something you could even mention to her. Like, hey, throw in a couple extra pads because you never know. Maybe those younger kids are going to start and you might be the person who has to help them. Oh, I love that idea. That's really good. And, it, you know, it, it it gives the older player a little more responsibility, which is always a good thing. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, that's great. I, you know, I think for a lot of this, everything you say is so, it, it just makes so much sense. But in the moment when you're taken off guard as the parent or the coach and you're mm-hmm. feeling flustered by this information that's coming your way, <laughs> you know, sure. it's, yeah. it's, we don't always come up with these great responses um, sure, in the moment, in right. the heat of the moment. And so at, that's one of the reasons I think having this conversation on the podcast is so important because we need to keep thinking about this stuff and keep hearing some ideas of how to handle these difficult situations. And let's face it. I mean, our boys are going to go through stuff too um, during puberty but I, I feel like with girls, the whole issue of getting their period is just, it's such a stressful thing for them to deal with and to think about and have to worry about, especially as you said in the beginning where their periods aren't coming at regular intervals. They never know when right. it's going to come. And, right. you know, there's stress around that too. And, and I suspect, I mean, my tennis player, was a boy. So we weren't dealing with this with him, but I suspect with a lot of families that have girls playing, maybe you're planning tournament schedules around their menstruation calendar. I I don't know. I don't know if that's something that happens, but um, you know, maybe that's a way around it once they become a little more regular or again, you just deal with it. But I mean, there are going to be times where, your daughter may have severe cramps and the thought of having to play a tennis match is just the last thing that she wants to do. And so having these kinds of conversations is just, it's really important. And especially when you're spending several hundred or even several thousand dollars traveling to these events, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it would Mm -hmm. stink if you get there and, something happens and she doesn't feel like she's able to compete because you haven't Mm -hmm. had the conversation ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Yep. And every time we have one of these conversations with our daughters, going back to the the thing I said at the very beginning, we're, we're showing them, I am a person that you can talk to about issues related to the body issues related to things that are very private. And we really, really want to send that message to our kids. And I know we're only talking about puberty here, but it's it's true about sex type topics as well. We really want our kids to talk with us, to ask us their questions and to look to us for information and support. And so if, if that's what we want, right, because who's going to be the better source of information than mom or dad? If we want to be their number one educator and supporter, we have to reach out first. We have to create opportunities to talk about this and to make it basically relaxed, casual, not a huge, big deal or awkward conversation as best we can. Right. Well, one last topic I want to hit on, Katie, having to do with puberty and things that kids go through is this whole idea of body image and eating disorders, which sadly are not just hitting our daughters, that are also hitting our sons. Um, and especially for on the boys side, you know, if they're slow uh, to develop. They're late bloomers and, you know, they're small and, um, you know, their, their peers are starting to develop facial hair and biceps. <laughs> it's, it's mm-hmm. a tough issue, but with the girls too, all of a sudden, you know, how they look becomes so important. And what are some things that we parents and our kids coaches can do 
to recognize if there are body image issues maybe brewing, um, you know, help put a, put the kibosh on that. Uh, um, or if it's already a, a situation where our kids are really suffering with body image issues, how do we address that with them? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's impossible to live in this country at least and not have some level of body image issues. We're a very image focused country and um, the messages that get sent are pretty, you know, like it's impossible to look like the people um, in the magazines because of course, even they don't look like it. So our, our sons and daughters cannot avoid some level of unhealthy messaging around what's important and how you're supposed to look, you know, what's important about you, which is how you look. And then how are you supposed to look? So I'm trying to say it's impossible to avoid that. Um, And what I would say is as much as possible, can we, the parents and coaches role model the way we talk about ourselves to include, I appreciate that my body does these things. I love that my body lets me ride my bike and I love that my body, um, whatever, right? Like I can run very slowly, but I can run. And I really love that my body does that for me. Can I talk about my body and what it does more often than how my body looks? And especially for moms of girls, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but we should not be talking badly about how we look in front of our daughters. I'd love to say, don't do it at all ever. But if, if mom walks around being critical of mom, she's role modeling for her daughter. You should be critical of yourself. This is, this is how it works. I'm not satisfied with myself and I'm going to be critical. And you who love me so much and so deeply, it tells the daughter to be torn between her love and her agreeing with me. I hope that makes sense. But Anyway, we should not be talking badly about ourselves in front of our daughters, particularly about like the places on our body that we don't like, which of course we all have, but keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, when kids are saying things about their bodies, coaches and parents can A, listen for, is this a kid who's saying, I really want to get better on my backhand swing. Sorry, I don't even know the words. Oh, you're <laughs> good. That's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. That's perfect. That's <laughs> perfect. Is she saying that she wants to improve one of her skills or is she staring at her arm in the mirror and, and looking at the way her arm looks? Okay. So one of those is functional and it's very appropriate and healthy to focus on in growth. And the other one is image focused and is probably not a healthy pattern. And so pay attention to the way the kids talk about themselves. Um, and also make sure coaches and parents that that's the feedback we're giving kids, right? That we're talking about what their bodies can do and not how they look. And also the thing I keep reading is we kind of mostly need to stop talking about our kids' bodies. Right. But I mean, there are situations where let's face it um, when the hormones start changing, some girls end up putting on weight, you know, just as a function of, their metabolism's changing, their hormones are changing, and yeah, that additional weight, step. right, it's normal, but it also can impact their performance in their sport. So if putting on 10 pounds makes little Susan slower around the tennis court, she's not going to be happy because her results are going to go down. You know, coach is going to be frustrated because she's not getting to balls that she was getting to. Parents are going to be mm-hmm. frustrated because the results are you know, not what they once were. So Mm -hmm. it is an issue that needs to be addressed, but there's a healthy way to address it and a really unhealthy way to address it, I would think. Mm -hmm. And it, it, this one, I love this topic. And I I guess one of the things I'm going to have to say here is it's very kid specific. So it's hard to give general advice about this. My general advice would be being 10 pounds over where you should be in our culture 
is such a triggery thing. <laughs> it comes with so much shame and blame that my general advice would be, I don't think I would talk about that. Now, some kids, even in adolescence, maybe, you know, the sort of very focused athletes, they might be able to handle getting some feedback about their weight because they really are performance based. Mm -hmm. But if this five or 10 pounds, whatever it is, is truly that sort of normal, you know, adolescent pudgy thing that quite a lot of kids have. Um, it's not really something that they need to do differently. It's the result of where their body is developing now. And two years from now, they'll just have gotten taller and they'll stay the same weight and, and they'll be fine again. Um, so I, I tend to say, as a general perspective, let's focus on what our bodies can do and how we can help our kids improve what their bodies do and not so much on image or right. even the number on the scale. But but also what can happen is once they do go through that growth spurt, let's say, you know, they grow two inches in a short period of time and all of a sudden they're tripping over their own feet. They don't know where their body is in space for a little while, you know, while they're adjusting. Um, there's a lot of awkwardness that comes during those developmental years. And again, if if you're an athlete and you're, looking to continue to improve at your sport, you're going to get frustrated as an athlete. The The coach can get frustrated and the parent can get frustrated unless they have this knowledge that you're sharing with us, that these are all normal developmental stages that our kids go through. And therefore we may need to adjust their competition schedule. Maybe they're not mm -hmm. playing so many tournaments. Maybe mm -hmm. They play school tennis and just have fun mm -hmm. with their tennis for a few months while they get used to this new body they're in. Or, you mm -hmm. know, maybe we use this as a time to develop a new stroke and mm -hmm. forget about mm -hmm. competition, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there are ways around it, like you said, without having to address the specific body change and mm -hmm. shame them about their body. Right. And I loved what you said. Just have fun with your tennis for a little while. I, I wish that every adolescent on the planet and the word, you know, we would shift out what the word is, but just have fun with this for a little while is, you know, such a good experience for adolescents, whatever it is that they're doing and working hard at to stay in touch with what they love about it and what's fun about it is so healthy and good. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll help prevent burnout, which is so exactly. common as they're going through right. all these changes too. Yeah. Well, Katie, is there anything else you want to share with us? I, I promised at the beginning we would circle back to your webinars. So maybe you can tell us some specific topics that your webinars address and specifically awesome. how, yeah, how people can find you. Sure. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So um, I welcome people to visit me on my website. It's katiemalinski.com, K-A-T-I-E-M-A-L-I-N-S-K-I.com. And um, for people all over the world, I have started a series of webinars on parenting topics. Um, the one that I have available right now that's most relevant to our topic today is called Beyond Birds and Bees. And that's childhood sexual development and how to talk to your kids about sex. And I did one recently on a totally different topic. It's talking with children about race. And that one was really cool. I've got one coming up next month um, called Keeping Kids Safe. And the idea there is of all of the things that we as parents worry about that can harm our kids, um, what's the smart way to keep them safe? And then I think beyond that, I've got one about divorce. So anyway, once a month, I do a webinar. Um, they're recorded, they're live, but then they're recorded so people can watch them anytime. And I would love it if, if your um, listeners would check those webinars out and tell me what they think. Fantastic. And, you know, just kind of as a follow-up to all of that, um, bookmark Katie's site, um, listen to the webinars, but also if there are topics that my listeners would like to hear from Katie on, um, you can email her at, what's your email address, Katie? It's my first name, Katie, K-A-T-I-E, at katiemalinski.com, K-A-T-I-E-M-A-L-I-N-S-K-I.com. Awesome. And we'll have that link in the show notes um, because I'd love to have you back. I, I really love your approach to all of this. And even though you're not a tennis player or a tennis parent, 
the advice that you're giving us. You're a swim mom, (laughs) but I mean, you're a mom and you understand the challenges that we parents face today. And there are a lot of them out there. And there are a lot of things that are striving to interfere with our ability to be effective as parents, um, namely the internet. And um, (laughs) yes, you know, so that said, you know, the internet's also our friend as evidenced by the fact that you have a website and webinars and I have a website and podcasts and there are people out there trying to impart good things too, but um, we do have to be careful and watch out for our kids. So if any of the listeners have topics that they'd like to hear Katie address either through a podcast here or through a webinar on her website, I hope you'll email her. And Katie, I just want to thank you so much for doing the podcast and being so willing to say it like it is and, and help us kind of get over our, our heebie-jeebies over naming body parts. So thank you for that. <laughs> it's been my pleasure, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. Sure thing. And to my listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.